This evening we're going to be in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. So far we've looked at 11 judges and 12 chapters. 11 of these, uh, 11 of the 12 judges that there are in this book. Four of these are major judges in that we know a lot about them. Seven are minor. And we come to the final judge who is also a major judge. That we can think of uh, less like a person who's up in front of a court and makes decisions, probably more like a deliverer, someone whom God raises up to deliver His people from oppression. And this deliverer's name is Samson. This cycle that we have been seeing throughout this book began in chapter 1 when Israel turned away from God, they forgot God, they gave up on God, they turned their backs on God. And so in order to get God in order for God to get their attention, he sent oppression upon them through a foreign invader coming into their land causing trouble. And and then the the cycle would go on. God would deliver them out of it and and then they would fall back into sin and so on. And this cycle in the book of Judges in these 11 chapters, these 12 chapters that we've looked at so far, has gone on for 300 years. And in general, it appears that the early deliverer judges were faithful servants of God. But as we get near the end of this book, we start to see people like Jephthah and his treachery and now Samson and his selfish desires. From the beginning of this book, Israel would send. God would send oppression. They would turn to God for help. He would send a deliverer. And as long as that deliverer was alive, they would not fall back into sin. In some way, they would stay near God. They would not turn back to the false gods. But as soon as that deliverer judge would die, what would they do? They would turn right back to their sins, turn right back to their false gods. Now, it's one thing for a nation when the leader is godly and the nation continues to turn away from God. There's lots of examples of that in the Scripture. You have a godly leader, but the nation is corrupt and they won't listen to the godly leader. It's another thing if the leader is hardly concerned with the things of God. What does it say about a nation when the person who's been appointed to be their leader, often appointed by the people, is not a mature man of God. What does it say about the nation? What does it say when he, the leader, is drawn away to the foreign gods? Is there any hope for the nation? There is hope as long as God has something to do with it. And that's what we're going to see here in in Judges chapter 13, that despite the sinfulness of an ungodly leader God is ultimately leading His people to where He wants them to go. Now, when I say His people, we've got to be careful with that term because I use that to refer to the people of Israel and not all of Israel uh, is made up of believers, correct? You have many apostate people that are living in Israel. And so I don't want you to think that, that, um, that, that, that it's okay for them to be turning to these foreign gods and eventually God's going to do great things for them. But when I say His people, I mean the people whom He has chosen as a nation, as a race, to, to make His own, to make His special people. As long as God has something to do with it. Not that, that the leaders 
that the leader's actions don't matter, but God ultimately is who is in control of this nation. So let's read this chapter, Judges chapter 13. Together I'll read and you follow along. Judges 13. This is the Word of God. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now, when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's, boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. And then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Maenah Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. If there's going to be any deliverance, it begins with God. 
Deliverance begins with God. Notice the state or the condition of Israel in verse 1. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This gives us the first two steps in the cycle that we, are, we have constantly been seeing. Israel falls into sin, step one, and then God sends about oppression to wake them up. They're not listening to His words. They're not listening to His voice as it would come through the prophets or through the judge deliverers. So God, in order to wake them up, uses circumstances to say, hey, turn back to Me. Those false gods are not satisfying. So we have these first two steps. And this is really just a repetition of what we've already seen. Turn back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 6. We already knew that the Lord had given them into the hands of the Philistines. Look at verse 6. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that beginning of the cycle. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. So there's the first step of the cycle. Then verse 7. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines. That's what we just read about in chapter 13, and the hands of the sons of Ammon. So we know that God's going to use Samson to deliver them from the Philistines that's talked about at the beginning of verse 7. Who did God use to deliver them from the sons of Ammon? In chapter 11 and 12. It was Jephthah, right? Jephthah was the one whom God rose up or raised up in order to spare them. Notice chapter 10, verse 10. After they fall into sin and God sends oppression through the Philistines and the, and the sons of Ammon, notice verse 10, then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. See what's going on here? Here's the third step of the cycle. Sin, God sends oppression, and then there's this cry for help. They recognize their sin. They confess it to God. So that's what's happening after God sends the oppression of the Philistines and the Ammonites. But turn to chapter 13 and notice what's missing. We have the first two steps of the cycle. The sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Step one of the cycle. God sends oppression. That is the Philistines, which we just read about in chapter 10. Is there any cry for help here? No cry for help. And if you look at chapter 14, there's no cry for help. Could it be that Israel was so debased that they stopped caring about God? That they stopped considering that God could help them? It seems to me that Israel had so assimilated themselves with the Philistine culture. The Philistines are living among the Israelites. And if Israel continues down this path, it's only a matter of time before they are extinct as a people group unless God has something to do about it. We learn something here about God. And that is that He often sends help even when we don't ask. And that's what He does here for Israel. He sends help even when we don't ask. Has God ever done that for you? Has God ever sent help for you even when you didn't ask or you didn't even know you needed help? Praise God, that's the kind of God we serve. He's always looking out for us. 
In verses 2-23, through we see the promise of a deliverer. The promise of a deliverer. The angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife in verses 2-7. through We learn a little bit about who Manoah is, but learn next to nothing about his wife. In verse 2, we read that there was a certain man of Zorah and the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. Manoah was of a city called Zorah, 15 miles west of Jerusalem, and he was of the family of the Danites. In other words, he was a part of the tribe of Dan. And we'll learn more about them in chapter 18. Lots of corruption in that tribe. Manoah's wife, we're not told her name, but we know from verse 2 that she is barren. She has no children. She has borne no children. But is barrenness a problem too big for God to handle? We know from the story of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Rachel, Jacob's wife, and Mary, Joseph's, uh, Joseph's fiance, that 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 is not too big of a problem for God. Barrenness is not too big of a problem. And, and it was not too big of a problem for God with regard to Manoah's wife either. She had been barren, and yet these, this couple was a godly couple. They were people who wanted to, to, to do what God wanted. They wanted to please God, and, and we're going to see that as we go through the text. In verse 3, the angel of the Lord appears to the woman. It's interesting that while we don't know very much about her, the wife, we know a little bit more about the husband. The angel of the Lord appears to who? Notice verse 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to the son. And so the angel of the Lord comes with a promise. We just read it, verse 3, that you're going to bear a son. He also comes with three commands in verses 4 and 5. The first command is, Do not drink any wine or strong drink. And then look look at verse 4 just so you see that this is from the text. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink. There's the first command. Nor eat any unclean thing. That's the second command. And then verse 5, here's the third command. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. A restatement of the promise. And no razor shall come upon his head. There's the third command. So here's what she's supposed to do. God's saying, you're barren, you don't have any children, but I'm going to give you a son. And But I want you to do these three things. No wine or strong drink, no unclean thing, and no razor to his head. And the reason is because, look at the end of verse 5, for the the boy shall be a Nazarite to God, shall be, in other words, consecrated to God. He shall be a man who is set apart to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here's the reason. Your son is going to, to, uh, to follow the Nazarite vow. Now typically the Nazarite vow was something that was done voluntarily and was done for a short period of time in order to, to uh, show a person's consecration to God, their set-apartedness to God. But here God's saying this is involuntary. I'm not giving Samson a choice. I'm not giving you a choice. I'm telling you, do it. Set him apart as a Nazarite. No wine or strong drink. No unclean thing. And no razor to his head. God was setting him apart for a specific purpose. He was going to use Samson, notice the end of verse 5, to begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now that's interesting that God would 
the angel of the Lord would put it in these terms, begin to deliver Israel because how long were the Philistines an enemy of Israel? It was the Philistines who who were enemies of King Saul and King David, their greatest foes, right? You remember great Goliath of Gath, one of the Philistine cities? It was it was the Philistines whom God would deliver Israel from, but it would happen over a period of time. Samson would only be the beginning. The very next thing that takes place in your Bible is 1 Samuel, and that's talking about Samuel, the raising up of Samuel, the prophet, and then the crowning of King Saul and then King David. And so we have these next two leaders of the people of Israel who will be uh, opposed to or have as their opposition the Philistines. And so that's why I think the angel of the Lord says this, you will begin or he will begin to deliver Israel from, or he will begin to deliver the Philistines, Israel from the Philistines, excuse me. So back to this Nazarite vow, this is mentioned for us in Numbers, um, I think it's Numbers chapter 5. Uh, if you'd like to look at that, Numbers chapter 6. Um, at another time, but basically uh, there were there were these three things. Now these are going to come up again because we're going to see that Samson has a problem obeying all of these these three things. The the uh, drinking of wine. There's an allusion to the fact that he apparently is going to drink some wine. He's hanging out near the vineyards in chapter 14, and then the touching of an unclean thing. There's a couple opportunities where he has to touch unclean things. One is where he dips the honey or he takes the honey from the carcass. And so that implies that he probably touched the unclean, the dead body, which is what he was not supposed to do his entire life. And then the, the next opportunity he had to touch an, a dead body was when he, he killed the 30 Philistines and took their garments from them. In order to take their garments from them, he would have had to touch them. So he, he disobeyed that second one. And the third one, of course, no razor to his head. We all know what happens there when Delilah finds out his secret. And she has his head shaved. So here's what the angel of the Lord comes with to Manoah's wife. A promise. You will have a son. And then three commands. No wine or strong drink. And even it starts in the womb. Even as he's in the womb, you cannot, Manoah's wife, you cannot, or Samson's mom, you cannot have wine or strong drink. And you cannot eat any unclean thing. And then the third command is no razor to his head. And the reason was because he was going to be set apart as a Nazarite to God. Well, in verse 6, she tells her husband, she tells Manoah what she's seen and heard, and notice what she calls him. Verse 6, Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God. So at this point, she's not clear that this is the angel of the Lord. She has an indication that it might be the angel of the Lord. Because she says this, A man of God came to me, probably speaking about a prophet. Some prophet came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. But I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. So she had an inclination that this might be the angel of the Lord, but she didn't have verification. And so Manoah uh, wants to meet this man for himself. He wants to meet this man of God. And so he prays in verses 8 and following. Manoah wanted, I think the reason he wanted was not to verify whether or not he was the angel of the Lord. Not to verify whether this promise was true. I think we see Manoah's faith here in how he responds. But actually to see, uh, to see how he was supposed to raise up this son. What exactly was he supposed to do 
He never had any experience doing something like this, and particularly a son who would be set apart as a Nazarite. So Manoah wanted more information in verse 8. It says, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again. And why, why does Manoah want the man of God to come again? So that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. He recognized that his son had a special calling and he didn't want to mess it up. And this, I think, speaks to his faith. I don't think there are any ulterior motives here. Notice verse 12. When he's talking to the angel of the Lord, he says, Now when your words come to pass... So he's already understanding that these words will come to pass. When they come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? How do we raise him up? What do we teach him to do as he's a young boy, as he's growing? So he asks God that he would send back this man of God. Verse 9. I love these words that begin verse 9. God listened to the voice of Manoah. Does prayer change things? Absolutely it does. Does prayer change God's plans? No. Everything is planned by God. It's all fixed. But does God want us to pray? And does God want to answer our prayers? Absolutely. And so Manoah prays to God and God listens to him and he sends back this man of God in verse 9. But instead of the man of God we would expect to come to Manoah, notice who the man of God comes to on the second time. Verse 9, God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So he comes back to the woman and so she says, hang on a second, I need to go get Manoah because he's the one who wanted to talk to you. She runs to get him, tells him what happened, and he comes back in verse 11 and says, are you the one who spoke to my wife earlier? And here's the question that we just read in verse 12. When your promise is fulfilled, what should be the voice vocation, his job? He wanted to know how to raise him. He trusted that God would fulfill the promise. He said, when your words come to pass. Notice he says that later in verse 17. Same idea. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? This is a man of faith who believes this man of God that he's going to that God is going to follow through on what he has promised to Manoah and his wife. And notice the answer from the angel of the Lord in verses 13 and 14. So he's asking, how do I raise this boy? What do I teach him to do? Verse 13, so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. So, did he give Manoah any more information than he had already given to Manoah's wife? No. He just restates in a, in a summarized form what he had already said to Manoah's wife. He repeats the instructions. In other words, I've already told her what she needs to do and what she needs to know. That's all she needs to know. And that's all you need to know. In verses 15-20, through 20, we have this sacrifice offered and then the angel of the Lord departs. Remember, Manoah and his wife are thinking that this is a prophet, a man of God. And so they show hospitality to him by offering a meal to him in verse 15. But 
But they didn't know, verse 16, at the end of the verse, for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. He's soon going to discover this because the angel of the Lord is going to give a few clues that he is the angel of the Lord. And the first clue comes in verse 18. Start in verse 17. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? Still thinking he is a prophet of God, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. This would be something that they would do. This is the prophet, so on, Jeremiah, Samuel, whomever. He's the one who prophesied that this would happen and now it's fulfilled. See, he's a man of God. So what is your name? So that we can tell people that you are the prophet of God. But the angel of the Lord said to him, notice, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? And the word wonderful there means incomprehensible. Seeing it is beyond your ability to understand. Why do you ask my name? If it's beyond your ability to understand. It's very similar to what happened to Jacob when Jacob asked, the angel of the Lord, his name. He was elusive. Can't I, I, I'm not going to tell you my name. And that word wonderful is actually the same word that's used in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when it says that this man will be the Prince of Peace and the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The Wonderful Counselor, the Incomprehensible Counselor. That's who... The angel of the Lord calls himself. And so Manoah, still not fully clear who this is, hasn't put all the clues together, makes an offering as the angel of the Lord says in verse 19. And then the angel of the Lord reveals himself. And he does it in in two ways. Actually, in one way, and it's in verse 20. It came... Uh, Let's start in verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, and he performed, that is, the angel of the Lord performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. So he performed wonders. Here's how he's showing that he is incomprehensible, that he is the angel of the Lord himself, not just a prophet, a man of God. And how did these wonders show up? What did it look like? Look at verse 20. For it came about, here are the wonders, when the flame from the sacrifice of the altar went towards heaven, then the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. So, the angel of the Lord gives a couple clues. One, why do you ask my name? For it is incomprehensible beyond your ability to understand. And two, he, he goes up in the flames up to heaven. So, who is this angel of the Lord? Well, we have seen in the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 that the names, the angel of the Lord and the Lord, are used interchangeably. And as we see the amazing miracles that he's able to perform here in Judges 13, we are confident that the angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. He is the pre incarnate Christ, Christ before he came to the earth as a baby. We even see his identity in verses 21 through 23. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So now he understands, not the prophet, the man of God. He is the angel of the Lord himself. And notice what he says. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen... And we would expect him to say here, the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. But instead he says, We have seen God. And his wife said, If the Lord had desired to kill us, 
He would not accept, have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would He have shown us all these things. So, see who she's talking about? She's talking about the angel of the Lord. The Lord would not have shown us all these things, but she's talking about the angel of the Lord. Nor would He have let us hear these things like this at this time. So, even not just in Judges 6, I think Judges 6 is probably the best way that we can see that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. But here's another great example that shows us who the angel of the Lord is. And notice what they do when they discover his identity at the end of verse 20. When Manoah and his wife saw this, saw him go up with the flames of the altar, what do they do? They, they fell on their faces to the ground. When they discover this man's identity, they do what every creature does when they realize in whose presence they are. They bow in worship. I think of Isaiah in chapter 6 when he stands before the throne of God and realizes where he is. And he bows his face to the ground, recognizes his sin. I think of John in Revelation 19. He recognizes that this information is from God Himself. I think of even the demoniac in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus gets off the boat and what happens? The demoniac runs over to Jesus and falls down on his face to the ground. He bows down before Christ Himself because He knows in whose presence He is. It reminds us of Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 that promises that there will come a day when at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those who are under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who see God as God bow in worship. They bow their faces to the ground because they realize their inadequacy before Him. This is what Manoah and his wife do when they realize that they're in the presence of God. In verses 24 and 25, the birth and blessing of a boy. The birth and blessing of a boy. Samson is born just as the angel of the Lord had told them he would. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to stir him some way. He, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him at an early age apparently to, to allow him to, to do great things for God. We're going to, to see that he's able to kill a lion next week in chapter 14 at a young age. So, the angel of the Lord comes and he says he is going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And then notice verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. This is something that happens very early in life for Samson. And this location, Mahana Dan, is, just means the camp of Dan, so in the area of Dan, down there in the southern region of Israel. Two points I want to, to make in application for us tonight. Number one, deliverance begins with God. I think that's the main point of this text. Deliverance begins with God. God doesn't wait around necessarily for people to call on Him for everybody to fall in line and start obeying Him, God delivers people even when they don't ask in many cases. And while the nation of Israel won't turn back to God during the time of Samson, 
And while they won't turn back to God even after He dies, God was bringing the nation along to a place where He wanted them to be. God was looking out for them even though they were not even looking out for themselves. Is it possible that we could ever head down a path as Christians where we forget God for a time and where we fall into trouble and where we fail to turn to God for help. Is that possible? good news is that God is looking out for you because you in many more significant ways are His people. You are actually a part of His family. In more significant ways, He will not allow you to finally turn into sin, turn away from Him. God promises that if He started a work in you, He will continue it. He will fulfill it. He will finish it. It will bring you to a time of completion. God is pursuing you and God always has your best interest in mind. Even when we don't think about what we need to be doing spiritually, God is at work in the word, through the Word of God and through the circumstances around us to draw us back to a place where we get back on that path towards following Him, towards serving Him, towards pleasing Him. And aren't you thankful for a God like that? That is our God. And then number two, great advantage or privilege does not guarantee godliness. Great advantage or privilege does not guarantee godliness. Think of Samson. He had it all. He was much different from Jephthah who... Remember Jephthah's parents, one was a farmer, Gilead, and the other was a prostitute, his, his mother was a prostitute. And he, he was estranged from his half-brothers, sent away, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then finally they call him back, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him then, and he's able to deliver the Ammonites. But he didn't have all of the great advantage that Samson has. Samson has two godly parents. Two parents who love, will love Him and also who love God very much. They want to see Samson do what is right. We're going to see that next week when Samson starts to move towards areas of sin and they say, Samson, are you sure? Should you really be marrying a Philistine? Not only does he have godly parents, but he is actually set apart for God's purposes before he was born. He was set apart as a Nazarite as a consecrated one for God. And then verse 24 tells us that he was blessed by God at a young age. The Lord blessed him as Samson grew. And then, verse 25, we see that the Spirit of God was upon him at an early age. And yet, what comes of Samson's life? Apparently, he is a believer, but his life is marked by tragic and selfish events where he is hardly concerned about God and His glory. There are only pockets of time where Samson seems to be concerned about God's glory. One is at his death. But great advantage does not guarantee godliness. So I don't know what kind of background you have, but if you grew up in a home where your parents are Christians and they brought you to church every day, that does not guarantee that you will be godly. Have you ever known any children of godly parents to turn away from Him. See, godliness is not guaranteed. And so, our responsibility is to pass on 
the glory of God and the greatness of God and to help the next generation to see God's greatness because it doesn't matter what kind of pedigree a person has. Great advantage does not guarantee godliness. I was thinking about this last month when we were in Africa and I was teaching through the end times. We got to the time of the Millennial Kingdom. And I've mentioned this many times before, but I'll say it again. At the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, there will be nothing but believers because you cannot enter the Kingdom unless you have been born again, unless you have been born of the Spirit. Okay, so at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, it will be only believers. But there will be some tribulation saints, believers, who come into the Millennial Kingdom and who will still have the ability to reproduce and children will be born in the best society that there's ever been on earth. They will have the perfect parents. They will have the perfect society and will be ruled by the perfect King, Jesus. And yet we know the end of the story that the end of the Millennial Kingdom, there will be a pocket of resistance. In fact, whole nations of people who will turn away from God when Satan is released from the abyss for a short time. He will draw them away and lead a rebellion against King Jesus. And at that time, Satan will be destroyed. But what that teaches us is this. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstances we are raised in, ultimately. That's not going to guarantee a person's godliness. It only happens when the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of their heart and changes it. So we need to beg that God would change the hearts of the next generation. The children in our church would be changed. Because yes, they have a great church and many of them have great parents. But they need their heart to be changed. They need the Holy Spirit of God to regenerate their hearts. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't care about our circumstances or society. But what I'm saying is we can't blame a person's condition on their society, on the things that are going on, because the best possible situation a person could ever be born in happens in the Millennial Kingdom and they still turn away from God. And that's because our hearts are desperately wicked. And while they may play the game for a thousand years, many will turn away. And we need the Spirit of God to transform hearts, don't we? Father, I'm thankful that despite all the various backgrounds that we in this room come from, You were gracious enough to send Your Spirit to to regenerate our hearts, to make spiritually alive what was spiritually dead. That was not something we could do on our own. We can't stand on our own righteousness, our own ability to come to You. We can only come on the basis of what Your Spirit has done through the work of Christ. And Lord, we pray for the next generation, the young people in this church. Lord, I pray for my kids that You would strengthen their hearts and change them to be more like Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the Latino kids that You would bring them to salvation. Lord, I pray for the lambs. 
Father, these are great families. They have great parents who love you. But I pray that you would transform their hearts. Father, I pray for Destiny and Amber. Would you help them to see their own sin and their need to turn to Jesus Christ? Father, we will praise You for Your grace for the remainder of our life and throughout all of eternity. Because we cannot boast in what we have done, but only in Your mercy. Lord, help us to remember and to be reminded of our salvation freshly. Be reminded that it was not us. That it was the, the merciful work that You did on our behalf in bringing Jesus and the Gospel to us. Lord, may we have that great desire to see others do the same. Lord, we're thankful that deliverance begins with You. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.